Hi, and welcome to the David Guadalupe Talk Show, where we talk about everything from race to religion. My name is David Guadalupe. I'm a queer Chicano social justice activist here in the Central Coast. And today, my special guest is... Savannah Salas. I am a Chicana astrologer, tarot reader, and all things mystical. Person. All things mystical. I love that. I love that. Uh Thank you so much, Savannah, for agreeing to be on the show today and doing this. I know that this was super last minute. I actually had recorded this show with two other people, and there were a lot of microaggressions, um, and some were just blatantly racist. And so we had to redo the episode. And so which I'm glad fine. that we're shooting this one. Yeah, which Me is too. fine. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, uh, today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about the racial casta system in colonial Mexico. Savannah, do you know anything about the racial casta system in colonial Mexico? And if so, what do you know? I don't think I know much about that racial casta system, but I would love to learn about what you, you have produced for us today. Well, what would be some of your basic assumptions if like, if you had to guess, if you were going to take a test today and somebody told you, explain to me the racial casta system, did you even know that a caste system existed, personally? Oh, yes. yes, I did know it existed, but um, not about specifically in Mexico. So I guess I would have to say maybe it has to do with um, how people of color, uh, specifically um, Latinos, um like uh, de- depending on their color are treated in that area if i'm mm-hmm. if i'm right or wrong i don't know you'll <laughs> find out um yeah i think that's all i would guess if you give me a multiple choice i'm pretty sure i'd pass <laughs> you're just like white people bad brown people good white people bad to brown people especially to black people uh-huh. and done that's it we're done talk show over (laughs) oh my gosh all right well what i'm going to do today is i'm going to read some segments out of this paper that i produced for my race and ethnicity in american history course and we're going to just talk about that sort of unpack it figure out what it means for us what it meant for our ancestors and where we think we're going to go with this in the future how does that sound sounds great i'm really excited to hear what you wrote all right Let's see here. All right. The racial casta system is alive and well. Layson, Ross, and Boyer noted that in 1519, Hernán Cortés and the Spanish conquistadores arrived in present-day Mexico and soon after overturned the Aztec Empire and founded New Spain, which we know as Mexico. Mm -hmm. The Spaniards were able to overturn the Aztec Empire due to the Aztecs' lack of technology to create firearms or ammunition and also their decimation for contact with the new diseases brought by the Spaniards. In the process, nearly 80% of the indigenous people were wiped out by smallpox and salmonella brought by the Europeans. The indigenous could not fight back against the Spanish adequately with obsolete, obsolete warfare weapons and having lost so many of their people to disease. They had no choice and surrendered their land and resources. New Spain ruled over the area for nearly 300 years until it won its independence and became the Republic of Mexico. Fun fact, side note, not in my essay. Savannah, do you know when Mexican Independence Day is? Is it uh, May 5th? 
No. Totally wrong. No. Americans think that. That is actually not true. The Mexican Independence Day is September 16th. That is their 4th of July. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. The more you know. Brought to you by Safeway. Safeway, keeping your family healthy. Dude, what did I tell you about for, like promoting things that are not paying you? Savannah, they could pay us in the future. You need to start thinking like that. And back to the essay. <clears throat> New Spain ruled over the area for nearly 300 years until it won its independence and became the Republic of Mexico. During those 300 years, the Spanish intermingled with the local indigenous populations, creating the first known casta. What is that, Savannah? Do you know what that is? What was the first known casta? Mm-hmm. It's, I know you know it. Just think a little like the, bit. Like the, the mestizos, the mestizos? Yes, mestizos. Ding, 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 ding. Mestizos were people who were half Spanish and half indigenous. You put those two together... Bam, you got yourself a mestizo. Damn. Due to the decimation and the intermingling of the races, the colonial era writes, by 1810, there were an estimated 6 million inhabitants in New Spain, of which 60,000 were Spanish born in Spain, 940,000 were Spanish born in the territories, 3.5 million were indigenous Mexicans, and 1.5 million were mestizos of mixed Spanish and Indian blood, mm-hmm. end quote. The introduction of, this, of the new hybrid races caused a new system of hierarchy to be imposed by the Spanish elite. The people of New Spain were divided into 16 subcategories by the Spanish, and some scholars have gone as far as to divide them into 32 or 64 subcategories. Also, side note, fun fact, when it says some scholars, Savannah, they're not actually talking about scholars. These are not learned men. Do you know who they're talking about when they say that? White men who call themselves scholars? They're talking about the Catholic priests who came along with the Spanish. I have So in order for you, in, in order for people to know what your geolo- like geology, your um, ancestral background, your genealogy? No, that's not. That's a different word. In order for them to know your racial background, they kept track of that. Through Guess when? It wasn't when you were. It wasn't when you were born, though, because people were born in their house. Remember houses. So there wasn't first certificate. Exactly. Well, that's at your baptism. Funny because um, somebody I knew in the past mentioned that to me, which is why I remember that. They. Who's that? Let's take a little. Let's take a little break. I want to hear this little story real quick. Oh, that was um. That was Ryan. Uh. And he went to go get his name taken out of the documents, um, oh, which is why yes, he knows yes. a little bit about his history. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So let's go back into the story. I did the primary research for the genetic makeup of the initial 16 subcategories to give a deeper understanding of the racial process through which the Spanish were working. To understand the place of the working class, these categories were pretty firm. Mobility wasn't possible due to the ethnic presentation of the people in the casta system. We're going to pause right here before we go into the genetic makeup. Do you know what that means when it means that you, like, it was a pretty firm caste system? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I actually think that somebody sent me a list of, like, the caste system, um, meaning, like, the different categories that you could be put into. 
and they I tried believe that was me. <laughs> yeah, it was either well, uh, it was either you or one other person, and they tried like showing me which one I'm in. So maybe it was you. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. So continue. So what it means by this racial caste system was pretty firm was unlike present day, you cannot out money your way out of the caste system that we currently live in. Right now, you could, you could out money your racial presentation, meaning there are ways for you to make enough money to where you live a life that is not in line with what other people's reality who look like you is like. Does that make sense? 100%. And people will see you differently. Not completely that... differently, though. But Correct. Correct. Because, of course, that also goes back into assimilation and all of those things, right? Like, you have to strip away, basically, your identity. ethnicness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your identity. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go into discuss the system. So the number one hierarchy were peninsulares, which meant you were 100% Spanish. You were born in Spain. After that was what they called crioles, which means you were 100% Spanish, but you were born in New Spain, which is now present day Mexico. Does that make sense? 100%. Mestizo, 50% Spanish, 50% indigenous. Castizo is 75% Spanish and 25% indigenous, which I think I had talked to you about this, actually did some history on my last name. And this word, like my last name comes from this. Oh, yes. I remember this conversation. Mm-hmm. Next is Espanol, which is 87.5% Spanish and 12.5% indigenous. And it just keeps going. Mulato is 50% Spanish, 50% negro. Does that word sound familiar to you? 100%. How did they get these how did they get these percentages though back then? So it was easy. Um when they started having children here, literally the first children were getting baptized. I mean, this new world was extremely religious, right? Like they were in New Spain under the the guise of we are here spreading the Catholic Church. Yes. So People were not in New Spain being agnostic and atheist. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So you had to be baptized. Like, if you were not baptized, you were basically ostracized. You were like, not baptized. You, you, mm-hmm, you were not baptized. Everybody was getting baptized, and you had no choice. Oh, and so yeah. that's how they were keeping track of these records, was through these baptismals. And so they were able to go back, like, so many years. 300 years they did this. They kept the system up for 300 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. The list goes on for about another 10 different subgroups, and we can maybe get into those a little bit later. Um, but these will be available on the show notes for anybody who listens to the show so that you all can go back. And Savannah and I are actually going to look at our 23andMe results and compare them to this. Yes. So we're going to jump back into the essay. From the above stated research, a few interesting observations can be made some of which still remain true today. We will look more into these further on in this paper. After a half Spanish mix, the Spanish would no longer intermingle sexually with the casta system. Anything past mulato or mestizo was seen as untouchable to the Spanish. The goal of keeping the bloodline pure became too clouded past that point, meaning only indigenous and negros and those of a majority of these genetics 
would truly sexually intermingle. Does that make sense? Uh, like together. Correct. So if you didn't have at least 50% Spanish in you, then another Spanish person was not going to choose you as their mate. Wow. And so that meant that you were left with either somebody else who was close to yours or who even had less Spanish in them than you did. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense. The whole wanting to um, uh, lighten up your, uh, like, light, lighten up the group of family you're in. Like, um, mm-hmm. adios. Continue. Yeah. People who were biologically more Spanish enjoyed a better quality of life. Peninsulares could hold the highest position of power in New Spain. The Crioles could hold positions of power, but not the most senior position. Any people of indigenous and negro biological background were held at lower social class levels than those of Spanish descent. Negros were seen at the bottom of the social class because of their association with slavery in the New World. The indigenous were held between the Spanish and the negros, but often faced many of the same higher taxes as the negros due to their low social standing and lack of Spanish blood. Many of those in the casta began growing unrest from their lack of upward mobility, which ultimately led to the Mexican Revolution. The main focus will be on the post-Mexican Revolution period and how the effects of the casta system survived the Mexican Revolution and are still present today, rather than, rather than the Mexican Revolution itself. The wealth during the Mexican Revolution did not move because the crioles, or those of primary Spanish ancestry, owned most of the wealth and land leaving the indigenous, negros, and mestizos in much of the same socioeconomic status as before the war. And now we're going to branch off for a quick story. So Savannah, I'm pretty sure that you know that my family has many, many generations in like North Mexico, right? Yes, I'm aware. So for those of y'all who are listening, Savannah and I have the same mother, but we have different fathers. And so that's where our genetics are going to be different later on in the show. But for right now, what we're going to talk about is my grandfather. So on my father's side. So that family, that part of my family has a huge track of land in North Mexico, right on the border of Mexico and Texas. And that huge track of land I found out was actually given to our family during this colonial period. And so that's how many generations it's been in our family. And after the Mexican Revolution, it stayed in our family. Wow. That's some sad history right there. So sad. Back back into the story. Well, sad for everybody else who didn't get any. Good for my family. Damn you, colonialism. Martinez and De La Torre noted that from 1876 to 1910, Mexico underwent tremendous economic growth. However, the wealth was not distributed evenly amongst the people. During this time, 800 Criolle families owned 97% of the land. I'm a descendant of one of those. While the majority of citizens were living in extreme poverty, the indigenous mestizos and negros were seen as the bearers of burden on the Crioles. Mexican history holds that the casta system was abolished in 1821. However, according to these results and the results of current times, these systems of power still hold today, even though they were technically abolished nearly 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. Martinez and De La Torre say, a significant missing element in this incomplete picture is the unequal distribution of wealth amongst racial groups. 
the wealthy, as few foreign scholars have noticed, are almost exclusively white. Side note, if you look at my grandfather, he basically looked like Santa Claus. And my dad, light skin with green eyes. Coincidence? I think not. While the Indians and many of the mestizos are either poor or very poor, expensive private schools presumed to be the best have a student enrollment that is predominantly white, only Crioles from the leadership of Mexico's private sector, oh, only Crioles form the leadership of Mexico's private sector. The most acute poverty, poverty in the nation is in the Southern states. Side note, those Southern states are states like Oaxaca, which are predominantly indigenous. Back into the, back into the story, where most of the population is Indian. The models and actors in television commercials and print ads are mostly of Mediterranean European, Mediterranean European appearance because according to some marketers, whites and mestizos of European features are the group that have the resources to buy the products advertised. Whites, however, are a minority. They are no more than 10% of the population, while Indians are more than, Indians are some 30%, with the rest of society being of mixed ancestry. Hence, although no official statistics exist about the distribution of wealth among the ethnic groups, it is clear that the Criole oligarchy owns and or controls a hugely disproportionate part of the nation's wealth. Savannah, I heard you breathing and it sounded like you wanted to say something. Oh no, it's just um, so many realizations coming from this paper that's like um, making my brain think. I love it. It's a great work. Share with us. What? Share with us. What's going on? No, no, I'm just thinking about like media in Mexico and how um, the people who are predominantly showcased are of like, I guess, mostly Spaniard descent. And it's mm-hmm. completely noticeable. It's like same here in America, except it's European descent. Um, well, it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, Spain is in Europe. Yeah, but um, not we don't have many Spanish people being promoted as opposed to like those um those with families and yeah. from like uh what are what are those places england um i'm not i'm not really sure British. you're talking about european american yeah that's what i'm talking about when i said european that's what i meant not uh mm-hmm. not spaniard because yeah um no just so many things also when you um you mentioned um you know the mixing of the races personally for our family uh, I always wondered why. Um... Pause. When you say our family, do you mean ours from our moms? Or when you say ours, do you mean from your father's? No, I mean ours, like yours and mine, from our moms. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I always wondered, you know, why our grandma took so much offense to, um, you know, being called Indian. And um, even during these classes, I didn't really, like, think about it. But now, um, as you're reading this to me, I see why she was taking so much offense towards that because it's definitely was not seen as a good thing back then. Mm-hmm. So continue. Yeah. The racial hierarchy in present day Mexico is alive and well, and it is in the United, as it is in the United States, even though the Casta system was abolished, much like the Jim Crow laws of the United States, people of lower economic statuses, sub- communities of color were not given an equal opportunity at wealth. After the abolishment of these systems of racial power, wealth was not redistributed to allow everyone to be able to achieve the same socioeconomic status. Instead, the opposite happened. 
Since the Criollas had all the resources, land, and power, those remained unchanged without question and caused the lower classes to fight for resources, while the upper class in both nations already had more, more for generations because, because of institutionalized racism. An article was written by Andres Villarreal, an associate professor at the University of Texas, Austin, which really elaborates more on the effects these systems have had on the people of Mexico today. Respondents who are light, who are light brown have 29.5% lower odds of having a college education or more compared to those who are white, while those who are dark brown have 57.6% lower odds. Respondents in the lowest occupational categories, such as domestic workers, manual workers, drivers, and security guards, are much more likely to be in the dark brown category and less likely to be in the white category than are respondents in the highest status occupations, such as office supervisors, professional workers, and employers. Only 9.4% of manual workers are considered white, compared with 28.4% of professionals. Light brown workers have 25.2% lower odds of being a professional worker than whites, while a dark brown respondent has 35.9% lower odds of being in the top two occupational categories than a white respondent. All of this evidence leads us to lead, lead on one conclusion. The powers of the racial casta system are still being upheld today. The racial casta system may be dismantled, but the system that helped get the Crioles to the top of the social, social economic tier kept their wealth safe because they already had all the generational wealth to stay there. The lower class can hope that these powers that be can come down, although unless the upper class divide their wealth and redistribute to the masses, i.e. the poor whites, mestizos, indigenous, and blacks, institutionalized racism will continue to serve the group they were meant to serve the entire time, wealthy landowners of European descent. It is up to all citizens to unite in a fight against oppressive systems of power and demand that they are given not just an equal playing field, but also the same tools to play with. Beautiful. Yeah, we all know trickle-down economics does not work. What are you talking about? I love trumped-up trickle-down economics. I guess they're not Americanized enough to love it. <laughs> um, damn. That's that's a great paper, David. Beautiful work. So what are some of the thoughts that come up to you, come up for you as you read this? And I think another thing that our listeners need to keep in mind is that a lot of people are hearing like, oh, this is what happened in Mexico. That doesn't affect us. Well, what a lot of people also need to keep in mind is that at one point in time, California, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and some parts of Utah and Wyoming were also Mexico. And so these systems were also here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, No, this essay is um, bringing up some thoughts about how our society is ran and upheld and um, I guess just... um, showing me you need to hear those thoughts i'm trying to explain them (laughs) uh i guess the reality of like in my workplaces like um seeing not as many people who look like me in higher positions um uh 
or even who are of like darker complexion and higher position. So can can you elaborate on that for our viewers who cannot see you? What does that mean for you? Um so and who've never seen you before? So for me I I would what color and I consider myself like a maybe like a like a dark caramel color, right? Um I don't know David, what what would you say my skin color looks like, my complexion? I don't think that's my place to say. I think that's your place to say. Well, that's I guess that's what I'm saying. I don't I'm, have I don't have a color. I'm, I'm not gonna get canceled. You're my brother, so like you you've known me for like twenty three years. You don't know my skin. And you you've lived in your skin for twenty three years. What color are you? Um, excuse me. Well, I've lived in this skin for twenty three years, but I spent the first like eleven years of my life thinking I was black because that's what people called me. So should I say I'm black right now? No, unless that's how you identify. So it's been a really hard journey to figure out what color I am and who I am in the society. Um, What have you come to? Well, I've come to the fact that I'm a Chicana um, with family who is not so for those who don't know what that term means what does that mean a chicana is someone who um is politic like a, a political person or non-political person but yeah somebody who takes like political stances and um for like issues when it comes to like people of color um specifically mexican americans yeah, specifically mexican americans uh, okay. So in order to be a Chicano or a Chicana or a Chicanex, you have to be of Mexican ancestry, yes. correct? Okay. Do you does do you not know the answer? Are you question, asking me a question? Or no, I'm asking you so that the people who are listening know because you didn't specify that that's what it meant. Oh. So I don't want Puerto Ricans or Dominicans who might listen to this to think that they could call themselves. Oh, that. Okay. Well, um, it's been like a really hard journey, like discovering who I am. It's been really frustrating because my family refused to answer. Like when I'd ask them, what are we? They'd say, I don't know. We're Hispanic. We're Latino. Well, what does that mean? Um, because I see other people identify as that, but I don't look like them. My complexion mm-hmm. is darker. There's something else in me you're not telling me. Um, and I'm also one of the darkest in my family as well. Yeah, for those who are listening, I mean, Latino or Hispanic, a lot of people tend to think that that just means like brown, right? And a lot of us don't want to recognize that that doesn't just mean brown because there are Latinos who just look straight up Spanish. And there are some Latinos who, if you didn't know, you would assume that they were African-American. And so there's like this lie that we feed ourselves, right? That Latinos look like one specific thing or Hispanic people when we don't realize that we fall under so many different categories because all of these people groups were there intermingling with one another. Unlike here in the U.S. where the people who came over from Europe did not intermingle with the Native Americans and the african-americans mm-hmm. so what? continue i don't remember where we left off 
you were talking about your family just telling you that you were Hispanic uh, and Latino, but you didn't really know what that meant. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess like a couple of years ago, I did this ancestry thing and also took some classes on this topic. And I've come to learn that I'm of like indigenous Mexican descent along with um, Spaniard. Um do you want to elaborate on those numbers? Does that mean anything to you? I what didn't do those know that numbers we were mean to elaborating you? on numbers yet, but um Yeah, I mean you're there already, so let's do it. So uh for my European descent, I am forty six point nine percent. Um Southern Europeans forty two point eight, which is Oh, you don't have to go into all of that stuff, but just like European, native, And then my African. native descent's 40.8%. Um, we got sub-Sahara African, 3.4%. And then Western Asia and North Africa, uh, 1.6%. And then Trace Ancestry, 0.6%. Broadly Central Asian, Northern Indian, and Pakistani. Um, what do you want me to say about this? What do you, what does that, does this mean anything to you? Did it mean anything to you? Did it mean nothing oh, to it you? Meant a lot. It, it meant question. a lot to me. It explained to me what I was and, um, what made, what made up my ancestry, my, what make, what makes me up today. And, uh, I felt like I was less in an identity crisis than I was before. Were these results shocking to you? Were they what you expected? Uh, no, they weren't shocking due to the fact that I did some of the research in school. But um, I was definitely um, I was definitely surprised that I was a little bit more European than I was native, just due to the color of my skin. Um, mm. yeah. Skin color, uh, skin color is a very hard topic for me because growing up, I dealt dealt with a lot of colorism in my own family, and just for those who don't know what that means, do you want to elaborate on what colorism is? Because there might be some people here who've never heard that term before. So colorism is when people um, hold prejudices and say stuff about the color of your skin that don't really feel good. So like growing up, growing up, I would. I had some family members who would call me black, the N-word. Um, I had some family members who would call me chocolate bunny while my other cousins were called vanilla or caramel. And just um, make me feel bad about my skin color. They tell me to stay out of the sun. Um, just a lot of shame when it comes to the color of my skin. And it really had a big effect on me. Yeah. For those of you all who are listening, um, th- who are like, oh, well, colorism kind of sounds like racism. Two big distinguishing factors here. Racism is a system of power that's in place to uphold that one race is superior to another or other races, as where colorism is usually within a people group itself. So Latinos, even though we encompass this huge ethnic diaspora, we also experience racism within our own communities. 
meaning that somebody could be Afro-Latino, which means Latino, but of strong African descent, and they can experience racism within their own Latino community because they don't look like everybody else, which I think is kind of similar to Savannah's, even though based off of your ancestry results, you don't really have a lot of African in you. Well, correct. It's not the African in me that they don't like. It's the native indigenous part of me that they are judging. And they associate yeah. that with blackness because it's darker than the the standard traits that show up, I guess, more in them than they do me. And I would just like the listeners out there to know that when she says in them, they all look basically the same. And so I, I just think it's so crazy that these people found you as this like racial scapegoat in their family, even though some of them are the same color, if not darker. Yeah, than you it was are. really, it was really hard. Like growing up, everybody would come up to me and compare my, their skin color to mine. And like every family event, I would be like, reminded that I was the darkest one there and like just I didn't really feel accepted and I felt really like an outsider (laughs) yeah you had actually shared a story with me a couple of weeks ago about your father gardening if you feel comfortable I would love if you could share that with people who are listening and just sort of what that brought up for you and what that made you think of and feel um Because I thought it was a really powerful story. If you don't feel comfortable, we can edit this little part out. And no, that's fine. Um, I'm sure he's not going to listen to this anyways. Um, so when my dad was gardening, um, he did not have any long sleeve shirts. And it was a very hot and sunny day. And he came into my room and he showed me his new invention. <laughs> and what he did was he ended up taping like towels to his arms in order to block his arms from the sun. And um, for me, it was just, um, it was really, it was really hard because I don't wear long sleeves outside, obviously, when it's hot. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just felt like there is a big sense of shame in the color of his skin and the, the tanner we get. My dad mm-hmm. is very similar in color to me, if not a little darker. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just made me really emotional. And when we, I came over here and talked and we talked about colorism and then you got me even more emotional. Um, and then at the end of the day, I was at home and I was looking more into this. And like you said, the ways that I could fix myself or yeah, fix myself to assimilate more is through bleaching my skin dyeing my hair and wearing contacts which are things well i didn't suggest that you did that but i was saying that those are things people do yeah. i don't advocate for you doing yeah those well things. um that all made me super emotional and i ended up i was at the dinner table and i was eating and i ended up crying and i thought my dad and my stepmom were asleep but my dad ended up coming to get water and he saw me crying and we ended up talking and um you know he said the color of our skin is something that we can't change (laughs) and um he said that he's dealt with this issue all his life and the best thing that him and I can do is do our best to show people that 
we aren't um, the way they perceive people of darker skin complexions and that we are we are good and we are smart and we are capable and which made me feel worse because I was like other people think that we're incapable due to the color of our skin <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah it was just a very emotional emotional time for me um, but I'm fully aware mm-hmm. that I am capable of doing so many things and the color of my skin is just something that you know um, enacts people's prejudices against like my color and darker colors and yeah, I don't. I don't really know what else you would like me to share about this. Yeah, um, what has been sort of your experience with seeing Latin American television, or I would even venture as far as to say, like Latin American pop stars in America, who do not, in fact, look like you. Yeah, so I actually do my best to not expose myself to that kind of media. Um, I don't really follow many, I actually really don't follow many um, artists on social media. I don't watch TV, Um, try my best to stay away from movies. Um, I don't need that negative influence in my life. If the people are not going to look like me, if I'm not going to be represented, I don't want to see it. I don't, um, with famous people, if I listen to their music um, and I find out that there's something something um wrong with them in a social justice way i'll stop listening to them and i'll stop supporting them i just i don't have time for that negativity in my life yeah i totally get that so i cancel a lot of people like left and right (laughs) okay so i know that when you took your test i had actually taken mine at the exact same time and we were both excited to see our results because of the fact that we have um different fathers and when I got my 23andMe results I was surprised to see how Spanish I was um I'm 50.4 percent Spanish I'm basically 33 percent Native American and eight percent African which is sub-Saharan and North um and that was really shocking for me too to realize like oh wow like all of these things are in me. Like, even though I don't always see them, like they are all there and they're all present. And like all of these things literally live inside of me. All of these identities live inside of me. And I think that was like really liberating for me to know that. I think there was also part of me that that was really hard because I think that there was a lot that has been lost, right? Like a lot of people look at Mexico and they don't see like Afro-Mexicanos. And the biggest reason why is because a lot of the African population ended up intermingling with the indigenous Mexicans and the Mestizos so much so that they literally disappeared. And when I say disappeared, I mean that they're in all of us now. Mm-hmm. But they as a community hardly exist. Does that make sense? Yes. And so it was just so interesting to me to see these numbers and and realize all of this. And it just made me think of like all of these stories, like just wondering, you know, who is that African ancestor in my family that like 
married someone and, and had children with them and you know who were these indigenous Mexicans and it's been a really hard thing to sort of marry where I'm like I need to figure out how I feel about Catholicism and Christianity and how I feel about indigenous identity and self-expression and so I think that's where I've been at right now with all of this Mm -hmm. um you know I myself and you we do have different skin colors I would say that I'm like lighter than than you are I would probably identify myself as like cafe con leche like I'm like some coffee with like a good amount of milk in there that it's like good enough to drink Mm -hmm. but like yeah and so my experience being Chicano has been very different than your experience and it's very different than experiences of friends that you and I have who are Afro-Latino who we've met those people right Mm -hmm. we actually have a classmate that we had asked in class if she identified as Afro-Latina and this is somebody who has very curly hair who has very African presenting features and they don't they just identify as being Mexican-American right yep we also had another classmate who was very proud of his Spanishness Uh, very proud very very proud so much so that he posted on his Instagram rooted in in Euro blood and so for me, I think it's I've been very. I've had a hard time accepting the fact that I have so much Spanish um, blood in me. I don't really identify with the religions that come um, from European descents. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I identify more with um, my indigenous background, or mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to identify with more. And it's been really hard for me. Um, been really hard for me to accept this 46.9 percent of me but it's obviously here in my features um with Mm -hmm. my with my facial features my hair um so it's there it's just um knowing the history behind what's happened it's been really eye-opening and very hard (laughs) yeah especially with the whole shame that comes with my family and um, the lack of identity and everything. So, yeah, I think it's also really important for people to see, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this and are like, okay, well, it sounds like racism no longer exists. And like, these aren't things that we deal with here in the U S like, these are things that are being dealt with in Mexico. And I would say that those people are very wrong. Like, these are definitely things that we deal with here in the U S most of the people who work in our fields are people who are nearly 100% indigenous Mexican, predominantly in this area from Oaxaca. And so these are definitely things that we see here in our communities. Yep. And the people who we see elevated who are of Latin American descent are people who have very Spanish features. Exactly. Those are the ones that people want to strive to look like. And not everybody. And those are the ones that we elevate. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And media and life altogether. Yeah. 
what are some uh, final thoughts that you have um, at the end of this? Mm. I guess just my final thoughts are, um, you know, I still have a, a lot of healing to do from the experience I've had with my family on my dad's side, my step family that I had for 11 years and what have I, what have I experienced um, growing up outside of both families and um, uh, just a lot more learning that I'd like to do um, when it comes to my what would be your, ancestry. Yeah, What would be your advice to people who are listening to this who can identify with your story? I would definitely advise them to um, do their best to really dig deep into who they are like ethnically. Is that is that the right terminology? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is their genetic background. Yeah, look into your genetic background, um, and be proud of who you are. And I'm still learning to identify with the Spaniard Spaniard um, percentage in me, but it's a it's a journey, and um, it's definitely worth it. Like having a sense of identity because before I just felt really lost um like extremely lost and now I feel somewhat grounded but I'm still still doing my best to move forward yeah and when I ask that question I I almost mean specifically with your experience with your color and oh it's just that's a that's a that's that's a journey of personal healing right there um, it took me 19 years to love the color of my skin. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that is some inner work that you have to do with yourself, learning how to do self-love, um, self-acceptance, um, self-awareness. Uh, it is, I know it's that not these are even things that you... Yeah, and I know this is even something that you've relationally, like, had, you've, like, come, like, full circle with. Right, where like you used to date men who were very Spanish presenting, oh. and that's yeah. that's no longer a thing for you anymore. No, it's not. Um, when you learn to, or for me, when I've learned to love and accept myself for who I am, I have been my my dating pool has become even wider. <laughs> and uh, before it wasn't because they were- for a second there I thought you said the my dating pool has become even whiter but now I realize you said whiter Adios. thank god it didn't become whiter um, oh, yeah, yeah. but uh not all white is bad although if we look throughout history a lot of white has been bad yeah exactly um no but I've also, I'm also more attracted to people who are, um, who are in touch with where they're from and who they are. And they're actually proud of that. So unless you're like pro rooted in Euro blood and you don't think that your ancestors Mm -hmm. did absolutely anything wrong, (laughs) then I'm not, not really pro that, (laughs) but, um, what was the question, David? what advice you would give people who are dealing with sort of that like colorism identity crisis Mm -hmm. of just trying to 
to figure out how to love themselves and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's definitely like a journey of getting to know yourself and like unraveling all the untruths that were um, fed to you throughout your life and seeing the reality of what is. And my skin color did not change. Um, it was my mindset that changed. So, um, yeah, and definitely, you know, disconnecting from people who, um, hold those thoughts and maybe not disconnecting fully, but limiting my contact with them. And also just being very open about the love that I have for myself and my color of my skin and, um, being around more people who look like me and who are also proud of themselves and you know their features that they they hold i also nice. really think um limiting my social media and just unfollowing a lot of unhealthy people has really you know helped this journey too nice nice well, thank you so much for being on the show today and talking about this topic. I know that this is something that's super hard for you and it's something that you're still growing in and trying to figure out. And so thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story and just where you've come from, from all of this, right? We've, we're all a product of of all this generational trauma and what our ancestors did and, and what they didn't do and what that means for us today. Mm-hmm. and the lives that we live and so thank you for for being able to share that with everyone and what that means for you um that is going to be our podcast for today uh thank you all so much for everyone who listened uh we are going to be attaching some of the the article in the show notes and also some good videos that you all can watch in regards to colorism and all of that good stuff so thank you all so much for listening we might end up doing another one of these we'll see and thank you so much. Um, Priscilla, would you like to give people your information where they can follow you if, they, if they'd like to? Yeah, you could follow me on Instagram. My tag is at the holistic Haina, And there's an underscore at the end of that. My page is open so anybody could follow me. And um, yeah, I post frequently. I also have a YouTube channel that is in my bio if you'd like to follow me there too. That's where I'll be posting more of my healing journey along with um, the mystical side of myself. So Nice. And for those of y'all who'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at, at David Guadalupe X. And for those of you all who want to cash at me, you can cash at me at DG Castillon Mendoza and feel free to send me a tip. I'll accept it. all right right. thank you all so much for listening y'all have a great night or day i don't know what time you're listening to this bye